0: Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in.
1: Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder and CEO of Remedy Organics, Henry Kassendorf. Remedy Organics is the leading functional wellness beverage company and the only beverage company to be led by a certified holistic nutritionist, his wife, Cindy Kassendorf. With a health expert for a spouse, Henry chose to run sales and operations for the business, allowing both to thrive in their natural strengths. Remedy Organics supplies a range of 100% 100 plant-based protein beverages and has steadily been introducing new options to the market. In 2019, Remedy Organics took their company to the next level by establishing a national distribution network. Recently, their coffee alternatives were given praise in Rolling Stone. Nothing says it better than the transparent packaging Remedy is known for, with their products promising consumers' healthy, plant-based options in a market saturated with artificiality. We are pumped to have Henry on the show, so let's dive right in. Henry, thank you for being here today, buddy.
0: Thanks for having me, Drew. Great to be here.
1: Yes, sir. Well, we got we talked on we touched just briefly on a little bit of the origin story in the intro, but I'd love to hear from you. What were the actual series of events that led you here today?
0: Yeah, uh, depends how far we go back, but you know, the reality is I come from uh, you know family of entrepreneurs. My great grandfather was an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur, and my father was an entrepreneur. And I guess there are some statistics out there that show. You know, children of entrepreneurs have a pretty high probability that they could end up as as entrepreneurs as well. So I think that's really, you know, what was the starting point for me. Um, That's what I always saw, people going out and building it themselves, Um, my father, my grandfather, and um, really thought that was something that was very normal. Um, And it's funny because when you talk to people who didn't grow up in families of entrepreneurs and work in corporate environment or government job or something more traditional uh it's really foreign for them to think of of entrepreneurship as a reality but for me it's foreign to think of of you know working for someone else as a reality (laughs) yeah it's been pretty interesting but uh you know that's really i think you know where where it started um probably didn't know what the word entrepreneurship was or entrepreneur meant until uh, you know, I was in my teens. And uh, I go back to, to someone, an old colleague of mine, who I think put it best. And, and it's a brilliant entrepreneur, a guy by the name of jo- Gerald Shamalis, who actually just recently produced The Irishman on Netflix with Scorsese, De Niro, wow. Pacino. And, and he was actually a colleague of mine in, my, in the first business I was in. But uh, I'll never forget, one day Jerry was speaking at an event and said, "Entrepreneur is a French word for unemployable." Yes. <laughs> and uh, that that always stuck with me because I do think most entrepreneurs are are somewhat unemployable. We'd be we'd probably be great employees and also horrible employees. But uh, that's something that always stuck with me. But um, I've been building companies since I was 12 years old. Um, always, you know found a way to make make a buck here and there um, and um, I think that you know all of my ventures have have had a larger purpose beyond just you know, making money and building a company and, and employing people, which are also very significant things but um always had a a larger purpose but this particular venture remedy organics is really special because I'm doing with my wife and um, I really never thought I'd be working with my wife. Um, Not that she's not incredible, but it's just something that, that never even was a thought until she was actually out, you know, building this company on her own. Um, And I had always partnered with with what I refer to Drew as, Accidental entrepreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. Accidental entrepreneurs, people who are brilliant in in some way, from a tech standpoint, academically, creatively, but need that that business guy behind them to help drive it. And something I'll touch on later um, from the best advice section. (laughs) But, um, you know, Cindy was this accidental entrepreneur. She has a lifelong passion for health and wellness. She grew up in the Middle East around these amazing Sephardic Iraqi cooks, her aunts and uncles and grandparents with the spices and flavors of the Middle East. And she combined these two things. And I really saw that she was onto something. Uh, she had gone back to school um, when we got married, get her degree in nutrition, and she became a holistic nutritionist. And she was working with clients in private practice, getting them off of dairy and gluten and caffeine and alcohol, things that were hurting them in many ways, and mm-hmm. saw transformational results. Uh, incredible stories that she has about Uh, the success um, of of working with these clients, but she wanted to take it to a broader audience. And she began this in our kitchen, um, making these products in a juicer and going out to stores in New York City and getting them to to buy the products. And she got traction very quickly. And uh, at a certain point, I sort of realized what was going on around me and these accidental entrepreneurs that I had always partnered with, you know, in my life, um, it was a brilliant one right under my nose. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it was sort of a mutual sort of, you know, kind of moment, I think where we both said, maybe, you know, maybe this was something that we should do together. And um, I did a lot of research on the space. And so there was a, tremendous opportunity to position this brand that she had created at the epicenter of some really big macro trends. Um, These are all being fueled by what I see as the convergence of the food and beverage industry and the health and wellness industry. And what I started to learn was consumers wanted more out of their beverages than just hydration they wanted more out of their food than just nourishment and we were really in the very early stages of this next frontier of the food and beverage industry which is these functional foods functional beverages alternate uses um, for food besides just nourishment and hydration and and we saw the opportunity to position Remedy Organics at the center of, of, of what, was, what was happening around us, this paradigm shift. And, um, and I jumped in, and um, it's pretty much been uh, a, wild, a wild ride since then. Um, wow. We launched the brand, and yeah, we launched in September 2017, and it's just been, it's been incredible.
1: How many years into your marriage and how many years into her doing this business privately did this start? Um,
0: so she had been um, doing the, the, she was juicing at the time and uh, she had been in that business for about uh, probably two years. Um, when I saw there was this opportunity for her to pivot from the juices into these plant-based functional beverages. Um, she actually had one skew in her line, which was an almond milk-based protein beverage. It was in her juice line in the cleanse. And this was actually, this product was dinner on her cleanse. But I noticed at retail that that particular item had surpassed her green juice being the top selling item in the line. And I don't know if you remember, but there was a time back in 2015, 16, 17, where any green juice on the shelf would just fly uh, off the shelf. Uh, It didn't matter what it tasted like, but if it was green, people were buying it. And hers actually tasted really good. But the reality was when when this particular product, which was this almond milk protein drink, surpassed her green juice, I said, you know what, I think there might be something here it goes beyond juice and and at the time sugar became the devil um juice is pretty high in sugar even though they're naturally derived and I really saw that there was an opportunity to to pivot and, and create something really special
1: now you and mentioned, that was
0: 14 but, years after 14 years into our relationship so okay. we've been together raised um, four children together um, and then uh, we call Remedy our fifth child. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Were you cautious? Were you cautious at all about mixing those worlds? Like I know my business right now, I stepped into this one with my, one of my best friends. And that was, that was something we took our time to like decide, do we think we can do this well together and, and keep the friendship, you know, primary? Was that even a thought or was it a no brainer to jump in with your wife?
0: Uh, it was definitely not a no-brainer. I was scared as hell, and yeah. um, you know, <laughs> when, when there were a lot of people that warned me against it, and I had unfortunately seen a number of of, of friends, and I'm pretty involved in the entrepreneurial community in New York City. Uh, a lot of friends that are entrepreneurs and founders of companies, and unfortunately, I had seen some marriages fall apart as a result of of going into business together, and. Cindy and I had an amazing marriage, uh, You know, not only you know, are we husband and wife, but we're best friends. And um, I didn't want to do anything to, to change the amazing dynamics that we had. Um, so I went into it very cautiously and, and really tried to be sure that it wasn't going to impact our relationship in a negative way. Um, but I was I was pretty concerned um, and it was not easy. And it really was not easy in the beginning when it was just kind of the two of us figuring it out and uh, um, high, high stress levels and tension, um, as, as anyone can imagine, you know, happens when you're when you're launching a business. Um, but um, it's you- gotten a lot easier as, as we've matured as a company and, and have um, a, a much larger team now.
1: What do you, what do you two, or what do you attribute to this business being successful yet also your marriage surviving and, and growing, uh, possibly not just surviving, but growing through this versus where you've seen, whether it be a friendship or a marriage fall apart in a, in a business? Well, I
0: think, I think, that the business has been successful because we are an awesome combination. I mean we complement each other incredibly well. Um, you know, Cindy lives and breathes, you know, what we do. Um, it's 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 this was not a business. There's a lot of companies in this industry where a bunch of guys from you know the CPG world get in a conference room and reverse engineer a brand based right. on what they think the market needs. Um, this was just a result of Cindy's passion for wanting to make a product that was just incredible with, you know, a lot of integrity and, and purposeful ingredients, but, you know, wanted it, you know, had to taste great as well. And, uh, and, and when you come at a business from that angle, right? And, and those are just kind of table stakes for the company. I think that's, you know, that's the foundation for our business. And the beauty of our partnership is I come at it from a different angle. For her, it's a movement, right? Yeah. She gets emails and DMs and letters all the time from people um, thanking them, thanking us, thanking her. For changing their life, for telling us these incredible stories of how, you know, using our products has helped them in these incredible ways that she never imagined. So for her, this is a, a movement that she's a part of, and that's the validation she needs. For me, it's a business, right? Yeah, and I come yeah. at, at it from a very different perspective. And, you know, the fact that you know, I'll never forget when we started, she was using the most expensive honey on the planet, right? It was just <laughs> organic, you know, natural honey. Squeezing and, it from the bees
1: herself. <laughs>
0: it it was, yeah, I mean, it was just it was pretty incredible stuff. And, and I said, look, you know, we've got this other honey. All the other employees were afraid to bring it up to her. But I said, oh, I'll do it. And, and I said, we've got this other honey and we've tested it. And it, it actually... Yeah. Hey, nobody's going to know the difference, but you know, at the end of the day, we compromise on something that was sort of in the middle, right? But yeah. the fact that there's that that very healthy tension right, around you know product development, innovation, and then the the business aspect, the economics of a business, where we can have these these discussions and really um, you know, uh, counter counterbalance is a counterbalance for for this um and 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 it carries over to a number of areas of the business
1: yeah man well i just want to celebrate or or even reflect back to you when we're talking about foundations what seems clear to me is that you both have an enormous respect and trust in each other on your side a respect and trust towards her that she's not dabbling she's not just uh doing this cute hobby but that she knows what she's doing and she's on to something and then her as passionate as she is about this business to trust you to come in with a, with a business mindset and take over sales and operations and trust that you're not going to bastardize it to some degree right yeah uh shows an amazing yeah. amount of respect and trust that you both have in each other yeah and Drew as you said you know going into partnership
0: a partnership with your best friend I mean when that when when there's that long-term relationship prior to the business uh, it helps a lot oh, yeah. but then the, the so that's but that's one part of it right but the relationship takes on an entirely new din- dynamic when you go into business together and then there's this whole other le- comfort level that you have to get in terms of you know going to war with them right and starting this business and yeah. Um, and, and, and it's nice to have that first layer, but that second layer also takes time until you really can step back and know, you know, she's got it or he's got it. And, and not even having to, to second guess things. And I think that's one of the great signs of a, of an incredible partnership, um, where you have that dynamic.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second, because I'm sure there's, there's business owners listening to this right now who have a partnership like that, that they came in with either a spouse or a friend or somebody and they have, let's say, they, let's, let's make an assumption. It's a generous assumption. Let's make the assumption they have a great foundation of history with each other, respect and trust, but forming that working relationship, right? Were there any ground rules or any delegation or any uh, skills that you learned along the way that made that working relationship work better and better over time?
0: Yeah, I would say that um, I think I think a lot of that validation came from our customers, right where yeah. Where there were times where I would you know, get involved in innovation discussions or formulations and you know, put my two cents in, but then... And, and try to possibly change something or second guess something she was doing, but then I'd see, you know, the retail or velocity data or distributor numbers on how well something was was selling. And I think a lot of the the, the proof and validation came from you know those those external sort of constituents and and you know consumers were voting with their wallets on on our products. Mm. And it was working. And that's when I said, you know, I got to get out of the way. And uh, and I think, you know, when you surround yourself with great people, it's a lot easier to get out of the way. Right. When you when you know that that they've got it and and you can step back. And especially for someone like me, who's um, a little bit of a control freak um, and used to, you know, doing things my way, um, when you've got great people around you who are experts in their area, whether it's sales or marketing or or product development, um, when you've got those great people and you can step out of the way and, and in many cases, let them up manage you, right? Mm. Because at the end of the day, as we build our team, that's what we look for, because we don't know everything. We didn't even know what CPG stood for when we got into this industry. We were complete neophytes on food and, the food and beverage industry when we jumped into this. But we have surrounded ourselves with great advisors, investors who come from the space, um, and, and, and really looking to those incredible people as well for guidance to help shepherd us through some of this craziness has also been a very important part of it.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned being a little bit of a control freak. I know that's a little t- tongue in cheek, but probably a little bit true. Uh, yeah. Often that can be high charge, high achievers, uh, business owners, those kinds of people can, can often struggle with that. I can struggle with that. Um, was there a time, and I'm assuming I know the answer, but I don't want to make the assumption. So I'm gonna turn into a question. Was there a time that you didn't know how to navigate that emotional, need or desire to control and found yourself in the way versus maybe now a little bit later in business, feeling like you know how to override that feeling of need of control and, and go ahead and delegate to somebody uh, and, and choose to trust them.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think that happens a lot. I think that my, most of our, our management team would probably agree that, um, I think that's the case with most of the people we bring in, because as as comprehensive as our interview process is, before we bring in a team member, you don't really ever know what someone's true capabilities are until they're on board and you're in the trenches with them, yep, right? Yep. And, and for me, um, there's always that you know that learning curve, right? My learning curve of, of of you know whether a we've we've got the right person. Um, you know what is the you know the the Jim Collins good to great stuff, right? The right the right right people in the, right the right seats on the bus. You yeah, know? and um, and that's you know that's really key. But you don't really know. Uh, at least for me, it, it always takes a little time until you've really work with someone over time and know. And, and, and again, when I look back at like our, our you know, our capital raising process, you know, one of, one of the investors we talked to early on, you know, table stakes for them was uh, they would not invest in a single founder company and they would not invest in a team that hadn't worked together before, right? And, and I thought that was really interesting because you know, single founders is one part of it that I thought was interesting, right? Um, And and strength and numbers with a partner. But I think that validation of a team that's worked together and what was interesting was they didn't need to have been successful before, right? They didn't have to have been a team that worked together and hit it out of the park, but they want a team that has worked together. And I think it's because of what we're talking about here that a team that's worked together before, that trust factor is already there, right? And they yeah. know who who's handling what, and 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 no one's second guessing everyone, anyone, because they have done it before. So um, I think you know, you know, given that we haven't worked with any of the the folks that we've brought on because it's a completely new industry, uh, there's always been that that process and. And once they're on board and we have that comfort level, we do step back and, and let them just do their thing and get the hell out of the way. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, there've been times where it hasn't worked. Right. And, and, and we haven't had that right person. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's an area, probably one of the hardest areas for, for a founder or a CEO is, is, is building that team because, you, you can't do it without the right team in place. And, oh, yeah. and I don't think there's anything, anything more important. So that's, that's key for us.
1: Man. when well, you talk about the difference between looking for the right things and hiring, which matters, but then you don't know to you in the trenches. It, it makes me think of the NFL draft, which I just watched a few nights ago. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's all this study and preparation and debate and you know, what they're looking for on this test and their 40 yard dash mm-hmm. times and their record and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure it, it gives them an increased statistic in, you know, increasing the probability of making a good choice, but we all know you really don't know what you have until it's game time. You have no idea. I love, I'm a Clemson graduate. I love Trevor Lawrence. I can't tell you with a hundred percent chance, he's going to be a great quarterback in the NFL because time has shown mm-hmm. us. You don't always know what you got. There's been plenty of number one draft picks that are busts, Right and yeah. you see the same thing with hiring people right yeah well let's see how zach wilson does for the jets <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right <laughs> and then they take a well, chance well, on shit. and then they take take a chance on the kid from san diego state or wherever and you got everybody they yeah. and it's like you don't know man that kid could yeah. come in and blow it yeah. up you know yeah, uh, yeah. let me ask you this then what what kinds of things do you need to see in somebody for them to earn your trust Meaning you Um, feel comfortable saying run with it, buddy. I'm not going to over, I'm not going to oversee everything. I trust you. What kind of things would you see from them that you think emotionally gains your trust?
0: I I think for me um, is, is someone who in each respective area of our business, someone who knows the playbook, right? Someone who's been down that road before and understand what it takes to be successful in, in this channel or has, you know, been down that road with a particular launch strategy uh, marketing campaign. Um, and then at the same time, seeing a couple of proof points within our organization where, where we know that they're capable and, and they can get it home and, and, you know, get the ball over the goal line every time At um, most of the times, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I need to see some of that validation to really have that that comfort level um, for me to step back. Because look, at the end of the day, and 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 I think this is you know one of the challenges certain people have working with startups and founder-led businesses is is this company is our baby, right? And and yeah. you know you, you look at sort of the uh, the life cycle of a business from like that embryonic stage, right. Where um, you, know, you have to nurture it and, and really spoon feed it up till, you know, those more mature stages where, you know, it still needs some handholding and, 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 and whatnot, but you're starting to step away a little bit and, and have that confidence. And, and um, we try, we really try not to, in a way, but I think human nature, when it is your baby and you've built it, is is to to stay involved, right, and stay in the loop on key decisions. Not everything, but uh, you know whether it's innovation or, or some more marketing or branding, Cindy will always be involved and have the final say on on decisions. And uh, when it comes to more of the operational sales and marketing, I'll always you know, insert myself to have a final say um, and, and challenge people, right? And make yeah. sure that we are, this is the right path or the right strategy. Um, if anything, we over-communicate and I think that's really healthy as an organization to have that healthy dialogue where you know, we refer to it as carefrontational and not confrontational. Right. And to be able to say to my head of sales or head of marketing, you know, and push back and 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 just really make sure we've we've thoroughly vetted it. And um it's something we do pretty regularly. We we are very tight as a team. You know, through COVID, we had some new communication methods that we, you know, put in place because we weren't together. A good part of our team was working remote prior, but um there's a lot that we do every day on these team calls where we're just talking things through. And, and I think everyone finds it very helpful and and, um, it's been, it's been, it's been really useful.
1: Yeah. Well, I really like the analogy of this being the founder's baby and the the organization really is a life of its own. And it starts off in that embryonic stage and really does grow up much like a kid and the relationship to it changes much like a parent's relationship to the kid as they get older. uh, We use that a lot in our, in our conversations how, how big is the team at this point at Remedy and what stage, if we were to use that analogy, what stage would you say it's in as, as, as an entity?
0: Yeah,
1: uh, so right now we're about 16 full-time
0: employees. Uh, we have a board of six. And we have um, about 15 investors on our cap table uh, and uh, over 200 brokers and, and sort of field reps around the country as well that support our brand in other regions, um, out, you know, out in the market. Um, so that's sort of what the organization looks like right now in terms of, you know, where we are in that life cycle, I still feel we're really young. I mean, we are just, we are just, you know, starting to hit our stride, um, it's been, you know, just uh, just about four years since we launched the brand um, and uh, actually three years, just over three years okay. since we launched the brand um, and, and we're really just getting started. Um, you know, the first year, you know, it's sort of the crazy time, you know, where you're just trying to get things going and everybody's wearing five different hats and year two was a little bit more mature, a few more people on the team. And now, you know, in sort of year three, we're, you know, we've got some really seasoned, you know, management uh, on board, great expertise, Um, but it's still, it's still a sort of a, a a work in, in progress where, We are just starting to hit our stride, Um, but we're getting there and every day we're making a lot of progress. We're one of the fastest growing brands in the food and beverage industry right now. When you look at the syndicated data and uh, you know, we've got some really amazing things happening out there. Our our remedy organics products are resonating with people uh, all over the country. We're in all 49 States, but from, We're in 50 states outside of Alaska, which uh, right now is not a big target for us because probably more animals than people up there. But uh, um, nothing against Alaska; it's a beautiful place. (laughs) But uh, you know, we uh, we're really just getting started, and and, uh, this is this is as I said, this one is really special because I'm in it with with Cindy.
1: Yeah, I was just going to ask in comparison to your other businesses. Does this feel very similar in a lot of ways, very different in a lot of ways or a mixture of both?
0: Um, Great question. Um, I think this one is, is very different than any company that I've ever built in the past. Um, And, and frankly, it's been harder in the early stages because I was doing it with my wife and uh, I've had partners in other businesses, but you know, as a as a um, you know the um, I was a, I am a serial entrepreneur. I've been building companies since Cindy and I met, but I had always been doing it with someone else. And I was able to keep certain things to myself when there were problems, right? Yeah. Um, And and wanting to be you know the the, the father and and. The strong sort of um, breadwinner of the family would not always share when there were problems or things that were bothering me or things that I was worried about in in my other businesses because I didn't want Cindy to have to worry about things. And I would keep certain things from her, not big things, but she didn't need to know every single thing that was going on that I was worried about. Cause I didn't need
1: to to put that stress on her. Yeah,
0: exactly. But, but so I'd want to shield her from that. Right. And, and it was kind of like this masculine thing that still you need to do as the husband and shield your wife and protect her. But now as my partner, I can't shield her from anything. She wants to know everything that's going on that's, you know, potentially a problem. And, and that becomes difficult at times. There's a vulnerability that, you know, I've had to deal with, um, and in sort of, I guess, ego as well. And sort of just kind of letting that guard down and unfortunately having to share with her when there are issues that I was concerned about. And, um, that's what is the real dynamic, the change in the dynamics for this business that um, I can't just keep certain things to myself and we're in it together. And, um, you know, whether it was when we were raising capital or just early startup issues or other problems, uh, oh, keeping her in the loop on everything.
1: Ultimately, has that been beneficial net net positive being forced to kind of overcome that discomfort of, of vulnerability and, and sharing?
0: Yeah, it's been positive. It's taken our relationship to a whole other level, right? That, um, you know, this, this whole other dynamic in our relationship now is, you know, parents of our children as husband and wife, and now as, as business partners, um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's very different. Um, but it's also been
1: very positive. That's awesome. I'm asking a little bit for myself because that's been, that's been something I know I need to do more that I've recognized, but it's not easy where there's been times where she's like, you're not telling me what's going on. And I can tell you're upset or bothered or anxious or whatever. And I realize it's just some of that BS around ego and not wanting to look weak. And then also not giving her enough credit. She was like, you know, when you say you want right. to shield me, you know, you want to shield me and not put that stress on me. She's like, You're not giving me enough credit that yeah. I could I could hear that and not freak out. And I'm like, You're right, but I just find it hard. I'm having to remind myself often to put those walls down. And, and it happened this today. She's like, You seem you seem out. She just texted me. You seemed out of it when I saw you. And I had this decision to be like, oh, I'm good. And I chose to be a little bit vulnerable and say, actually today's been really stressful and uh just yeah. working through it you know i still wasn't like yeah <laughs> as open as i could be but uh so i'm I'm learning from my from you right now for myself that's a selfish question i'm asking you. yeah
0: yeah we could talk more offline about it <laughs> if you want because
1: i i i have a lot of stories <laughs> i believe it i believe it we'll have to do that we'll have to do that well i'm curious uh with your unique background i, I do want to ask this you mentioned earlier that you've kind of had a career of partnering with the accidental entrepreneur and I, I could be misinterpreting this but the way i hear it is very similar to help you helping a baker own a bakery right mm-hmm. where you, you see the person who's really technically proficient at something uh they're on to something but they probably don't know how to take that and turn it into an actual business or they're struggling yeah, to exactly. do so um exactly. what's the hardest part and maybe it's not hard i don't know i don't want to put uh, that in your mouth but well i, I would imagine it being challenging to, to yeah. come alongside and, and take a baker and help him learn how to run a bakery.
0: Yeah. You know, I got this, um, you know, this kind of comes you know down to some of the advice when I was thinking about, you know, some of your questions and, and the, the, the first and only job I had was right out of school. I was doing international marketing for Polo Ralph Lauren and, and I had the opportunity to have lunch with Ralph and a small group of people. And, he was telling us his incredible story about how he built Ola, right? Mm. Incredible, iconic brand. And, uh, you know, what Ralph shared was his story of how he was making ties, designing ties, selling ties, right? And that was, he was everything and Bloomingdale's gave him an order that almost put him out of business. And, He had a gentleman approach him by the name of Peter Strom, who was sort of a career garmento, as we call him, you know, in New York. right? a guy who'd worked in the garment industry his whole life and saw Ralph's talent and said, Ralph, let me drive and you create. And once Ralph had that partnership with Peter and was willing to trust Peter and let him drive, the company took off because Ralph was able to do what he was good at, which was designing and his vision. And when you look at some of the most successful partnerships some of the most incredible companies on the planet, company like Apple, right? Yep. Steve Jobs, Steve, and Wozniak. Steve Wozniak,
1: Yeah.
0: Microsoft with Gates and Balmer and, you know, you could go on and on, but at the end of the day, you know, that's what I have with Cindy as well, right? And 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 to be able to really have that partner who is just so talented but has never built or run a business um, is really useful. Um, and those complementary skills that I would bring to the table with other partners who again, had also those that, those signs of brilliance in their respective areas, um, but they didn't understand what it really took to get something from concept
1: right. or
0: something that was very early stage to turn it into a national or global brand or business, right? Um, raising capital, hiring people, you know, scaling, globalizing, and and that's sort of, I think what, what really separates it, but it's not, it's not easy. And it's not, it's not for everyone. I I think there's a, there's a quote that I love. It's great ideas are 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Right. And, and you think about it, you know, it's the same thing, you know, great, great company, right. It's the same thing. And that's why a lot of these investors, right. Are betting on, the jockey and not the horse. Mm-hmm. Right? They're betting mm-hmm. on the founders. And if you ask any good investor, they'll, they'll tell you they'll take a great team over a great concept any day, right? That's They're right. not going to back a venture that has a great concept without a great team. Because the the, the concept itself is not going to knock down every barrier in front of it to be successful. You've got to have that jockey that that knows how to to get it done and absolutely uh, i don't think you could undervalue that
1: i mean you look at someone like elon musk right and what he's been able to do in the right. auto industry in the space industry mm-hmm. in this in the energy mm-hmm. industry mm-hmm. like he's not the first to try to break in there right he's not the first that's had some of the ideas that he's had but his his brilliance his work ethic the team he's surrounded himself with he's by far not perfect just like steve jobs none of these people are perfect but right, that is that different quality you're talking about. The teams they are able to assemble, uh, even heard Bill Gates say one time talking about Microsoft, where he said, our true competitive advantage isn't our product. Our true competitive advantage is our team. He said, if you take yeah. my, my core team and you put it in any of our competitors, companies, they would be leading the market because they know how to solve problems together. They know how to think outside the box. They know how to keep, you know, keep pushing. I'm like, man, that is, that is so true. Betting on the jockey, not the horse. Um, yeah. man, that, that's, and, really- that, and
0: that, and that entrepreneur, I mean, that, that, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, what it takes, you know, how, how do you, have you been in entrepreneurship your entire career and, and what does it take? And, and, and the bottom line you know, that I see is you've got to be willing to throw your body into whatever it is you're doing, whatever that venture is, maniacally 150%, like every part of you has to go into that business. And anyone who tells me that they can dabble in a bunch of different businesses and, and be launching, it, it, it's just, you know, I think Jack Welch said, don't be a dabbler, right? Find one thing Come on. and focus. And you've got to, you've got to be willing to just put everything into it. And if you're not, um, now, you're going to be severely handicapped.
1: Man, man, uh, that reminds me of, I don't typically share too many stories from my end on the podcast, but uh, the best advice I ever got, you just highlighted it. When I first started my company, I had gone from my, my whole 20s working for somebody else, felt this like, I got to step into being an entrepreneur. I've got this idea. I've got this skill set. I'm going to go for it, right? And about six months in, it was so much harder than I thought. Even though I'd given myself two years of mental runway and, and capital runway, six months in, I was already freaking out. And I had several different opportunities come to me. They all felt like good opportunities that I could do in my spare time to maybe get some cash flow going while this business is taking off. Right. And so I was like, I'm going to check with my wealthiest friend. I'm not going to check with my poorest friend. I'm going to check with my wealthiest friend. Right. And uh, so I said, Scotty, can I come have lunch with you? He's like, sure. I think he's going to think I'm so brilliant because he's so pragmatic. He's so practical. He's steady, Eddie. And I'm like, hey, here's the business I'm trying to start. But but listen to this. I think I could put 15% of my time into this real estate thing that this guy's got this opportunity for. And I could spend some time over here doing this. And then I'd have multiple streams of income while I'm waiting for this to come off. And I'm telling him 45 minutes I'm talking. He's listening. He's listening. And finally, I get done. And I'm like, what do you think? And he sits there. and He takes a sip of his water. And he goes, do you want to know what I really think? I was like, yeah, dude. I drove an hour to get your advice. Tell me what you really think. He said, I think you're scared and you're about to kill your business. I was like, what? And he goes, I think you're scared. I think it's taken longer than you thought. It's harder than you thought. And you're unknowingly about to kill your business. And I was like, how am I about to kill my business? And he said, every business is like a baby. And if if it doesn't get 100% of your attention, it'll die. And so he said, you need to be going to bed thinking about this business and waking up thinking about this business. Nothing else can be on your brain until... Mm -hmm. Until it's got legs of its own, and then you can start to entertain the idea of something else. Because like you're a few years away from even entertaining your energy, your money going anywhere else. And I walked away with like the best like cold water on my face and yeah. shut down all the other opportunities and decided that I was going to go to bed thinking about this and waking up thinking about this until it's a success or until it's a failure. Like in one is going to prove itself one way or the other. And he saved my business. 100% he saved my wow. business. It's the same advice that I hear from you mm-hmm. with, with your experience. I wonder crazy. I wonder if you'd have the same answer or if there's a slightly different answer. And I thought about this when you told me you have a family of entrepreneurs. I don't know if father, grandfather, uncle, if they were all successful entrepreneurs or if there was a scatter plot of some that were good, successful and some that weren't. Um, but I know that's true across entrepreneurs in general, that there's those who have committed for their whole life to be entrepreneurs, but they never really seem to make it. They're always scrambling and their family is always kind of tight and it never really pays off, but they've committed and that's to their credit. But then you have the others who have always committed to being an entrepreneur, but they found a way for that to actually really work. Like it actually achieved the goal of financial freedom or whatever. Do you have any theories on the difference? Like the, the person who's just always struggling as an entrepreneur and never seems to get their breakthrough in life versus the ones who have found a way, even through several failures, to eventually make it and see the fruit of their labor?
0: Yeah. Great question. You know, I think the guys that I know, and again, as I mentioned, I'm pretty involved with the entrepreneur community here and and through some organizations I'm involved with nationally. And I think the guys who haven't made it, um, are the ones that have a lack of focus and, and we're trying to do too many things at once. And, um, and 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 you know, so like good. like you said, you know, with your friend who threw the cold water on you, and and you know the revelation that I've had, um, you got to be all in on one thing, and you got to focus. But but it's you know, there's different levels of entrepreneurs as well, right? And you take someone like a Musk or a Jobs um, that are just you know brands in it. It's whole other level, and and I think a lot of those guys are swinging for the fences every time and they're okay losing it all right they're okay and and i've seen those guys too friends of mine who go way up and then way down quickly and you know that it's that's a whole nother level (laughs) it's a different level of
1: emotional constitution
0: (laughs) but you know it gets harder as you get older and 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 one of my favorite quotes is mark Twain right? Uh, Who wants to succeed in life, you need two things, ignorance and confidence, right? Mm. And when you're 22, 24, 25, you're a lot more ignorant, right? (laughs) But it helps, right? Because what's the worst that happens?
1: Yeah, you couch surf. Sleep
0: on your parents' couch, exactly. Yeah. But as you get older, the stakes are higher. And that ignorance that's that's so helpful to an entrepreneur early on, um, which is truly in many ways a benefit that that level of ignorance becomes um, a liability later on as you get less ignorant, right? Or you think you're, you're smarter and more, um, more careful. Um, It's so it's, it's pretty interesting. And I think that ignorance and confidence is something that you really, really need to, to balance. Cause I know a lot of entrepreneurs also who are too smart, right. Or should we say not ignorant enough and they, you know, it's analysis paralysis exactly. Yes, um, and not, not going with the gut instincts or whatever else it might be to help you, you know, push that, that idea forward. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that's a big part of it as well.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. And that's, I've noticed that for me just recently, I was telling my team, if I'm, if I'm in an emotional space, that's not helping me or helping the business, I'm usually overthinking and thinking is a, is a really good thing, right? Thinking is, is helpful to be analytical, to avoid, you know, missteps and mistakes, but you can overdo it. That's where that analysis paralysis can come in. Right when i'm doing better is when i'm living more from my gut and living more from my heart and letting my brain check it you know like come in second i don't know if you've seen the same but that's that's a more helpful uh relationship that i can have with thinking versus trusting instincts right right right
0: all right the natives are coming
1: you're good (laughs) we're we're listening right now we're moving we're moving rooms because the kids are coming home uh, that's, that's, that's life. That's life okay. in COVID right now. I get it. That's uh, it. That's it. So I, I want to just ask you this before we get to the lightning round questions. What is next for remedy? Like, what is the exciting thing that you guys are staring down, making a goal, hmm. making a priority that, that you feel like is next for the company?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, we really, um, at this point have, recently become a national brand, right? With products selling in all 49 states. Uh, And I think there's still a lot of white space out there um, in a number of channels. And we are um, really drilling down on a number of channels, this true omni-channel strategy where our products are not only being sold in natural channel like Whole Foods and Sprouts, which is where we started, but we're being sold in convenience channel places like 7-Eleven. Remedies now being sold in the drug channel at CVS, um, mass um, channel, with Walmart. Um, we're just getting started. There's still a lot of room for us in those channels because those retailers are coming to us and they're saying, we love what your brand stands for. We love the incrementality uh, of the consumer that comes into the store looking for Remedy Organics products. Um, so that's why I said earlier, we're just hitting our stride. We're just right. entering those channels, seeing the proof points that it's working and now really optimizing and, and scaling the, you know, the traction we have and taking it to the next level. So uh, we've got a lot of white space out there that we're excited about um, and a pretty deep innovation pipeline as well of other categories where we can take what we've done uh, in our core business and, and move into some exciting new areas of the, of the stores leveraging this incredible brand that we're building.
1: That's really exciting, man. Congratulations. I I know the the hard work it must have taken to get here. What, what would you say is, is, do you foresee being the, the biggest challenge to taking advantage of all the opportunity that's in front of you right now?
0: I think, I think the biggest challenge is where do we go first, right? And prioritizing when there is all this white space and excitement and buzz about the brand, uh, making sure that we prioritize and, and make sure that next route, next move is the right move.
1: How are you going to do that? Do you have a way you like we to make rely, decisions?
0: We rely a lot on our board. We have an incredible board of directors um, who we rely on uh, and speak to on a, on a fairly regular basis. And um, uh, we do, we make a lot of key decisions with the input of our board.
1: That's awesome. Any any tips for people looking to start a board? I know it's almost like starting a business with a partner, right? Depending on your experience, yeah. Yeah. you you say never do it if it was a terrible board that didn't understand you, that didn't have your best interests in mind versus people that I've talked to, they're like I wouldn't have I wouldn't be here without my board. They've been confidants, friends, advisors, those yeah. kinds of things. Any mm-hmm. keys to To selecting the right people or thinking around assembling a board
0: yeah i think really having a a cross section of um of folks around that table that have that have experience in the industry or a related industry but experience coming at it from a different angle and one of the incredible parts of our board is we've got institutional investors on the board who have this amazing perspective because they have a number of portfolio companies um, and they are able to see what's working and, and what's not in the market or what's trending um, and have this great purview. But we also have folks on our board that come from the ops side or have built the companies and had successful uh, ventures in the industry who've been down this path you know, in my shoes, right, walking down this path, and um, to be able to take all of those perspectives, you know, and and sort of vet them together and kind of scrub them against one another, uh, and come out with a really good plan is typically what happens in our meetings. And whether it's our quarterly board meetings where we're all sitting around the table together, or calls that we'll do when there is a a a key item for discussion um it's a really healthy dynamic and we're very fortunate to have this incredible group of people that you know care enough to be a part of 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 our board and 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 give us these incredible perspectives that have been pivotal
1: for us love that so helpful okay let's dive into our lightning round questions question number one for you If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? I think that
0: nothing is impossible, right? And whatever we put our mind to as a team, we can make it happen. And that comes back to that, you know, 1% inspiration, 99 perspiration, uh, quote that I love. Right. And I really believe that, you know, with a team like ours, We can make anything happen. We continue to outperform in every area of our business. We punch well above our weight with everything we do. And, um, you know, I think, you know, Steve Jobs called it this reality distortion field, right? In his book (laughs) where, you know, he just said, we're going to do it. And his team was, how the hell are we going to do it? And he said, we're going to do it. And they'll come up with the way to do it. People thought it was, you know, in many cases, completely nuts, but it worked. Right. And and, you know, I I look at things the same way. If we put our mind to it, we are going to make it happen. And we've done it. And uh, we've done things that people never believed would happen. Um, And um, I think, you know, making my team well aware of that um, is something that's been very important. very helpful and a big part of our success.
1: Love that. All right. Question number two, what is the single best advice you've ever received about growing your business? And also what was the worst?
0: Yeah. Um, I think the best, as I shared with you from Ralph Lauren, right. In terms of the importance of, of having a great partner that has those complementary skills. That's that was key for me. And, um, I think also, you know, there's something, you know, from Jeff Bezos, right, to obsess over your customers, not your competitors, right? Just stay in your lane and and keep your head down and, and focus on on what you said you're going to focus on and don't get distracted um, by what your competitors are doing, right? Focus on your customers. And, and that's what we do. Um, and surrounding ourselves with great people and then, Knowing, as we spoke about earlier, knowing when the hell to get that get out of the way, yeah. um, and for me, you know, given that I'm working for my wife, happy wife, happy life, has even more meaning when you're in business with your wife, <laughs> because you know we've got to always be clicking on all cylinders, and and I think she she looks at the same way of us, you know, really keeping each other happy and taking care of each other um, and, and making sure that, you know, the relationship is strong because we've got to be there for our kids and we've got to be there for our employees and our customers. And we've got, you know, a number of folks that we're responsible for besides ourselves. And um, it's very important that our relationship is strong and she's happy and that I'm happy. And that works.
1: Love it. Question number three, what causes you the most worry or stress leading your organization? Yeah. You know, I,
0: I listened to a number of your um, episodes before, you know, we've spoken and, and, um, big fan of what you're doing. And I recently heard one where you asked this question to somebody, said they're not worried about anything. And it, it reminded me of a shark tank episode that I watched as well, because I'm, I worry about everything, right? And yeah, yeah. Um, I worry about things three steps before they even could happen. And there was a, a founder on Shark Tank and they asked her what she was worried about. And she said, nothing. And not, not worried about anything. And they all went out and her, Robert Herchevich says, as an entrepreneur, the fact that you're not worried about anything <laughs> is a huge concern. And then he says, Great entrepreneurs live in paranoia. And for me, that was like the validation that I needed because that's where I am in many yeah. cases. Oh, yeah. And um, so, you know, I worry about things, but I also, one of our investors and board members, Adam Burgoon, shared an article with me on the dichotomy of control, right? Where kind of very helpful the dichotomy of control. Is it only makes sense to worry about the things that we have complete control of, right? right. And it's not a good use of our time or energy to concern ourselves with things that we don't have control of, right? So I think that, you know, brings it down a level. There's a third part, right? There's a trichotomy of control where there are some things we have some control of, which throws another element into it. But (laughs) I think, you know, keeping all of that into perspective is helpful, but I worry about a lot of things.
1: Love it love it anything in particular the the flavor of the month
0: you know we we are constantly launching new products into new channels and you know, any slight hiccup across our entire you know from supply chain all the way down to distribution um, of our products I mean they're it has to be flawless, right? Flawless execution is critical for the success of our business. And there are people involved in every step of that process. And unfortunately, um, when you have a lot of people involved, you know, in that many aspects, touching the product, handling the product, um, things can go wrong. And, uh, you know, the fact that we're on shelf at tens of thousands of stores around the United States and people are loving our product, um, is, is just something that I think about every day and um, feel so grateful that people love this product and buy it day after day and um, and that we're seeing people benefiting from what we do as well. And I certainly worry if there's going to come a time where where that changes. Um, I think you know boils down to something. Maybe that would be what I worry about most is will that day ever come? Um, But, you know, the other side of me is we're making such an incredible product that um, probably can't see that happening.
1: Love it. Thank you for the honest answer. I love that. Yeah. Um, I worry about things all the time too. Number four, what is your current BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal?
0: Um, I would say, you know, it's really... I feel an obligation of bringing, carrying Cindy's goal forward, right? Because I'm sort of the shepherd helping to build this brand and, and this incredible vision that she has uh, rooted in in all of her beliefs around what food should be, right? Food is medicine and plant-based, the benefits of plant-based uh, foods, based beverages and this vision that she had of 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 ramini organics you know to make these delicious clean healthy products with incredible purposeful ingredients and that goal of them being accessible to everyone and 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 not just something that's sold you know in you know areas of new york city where people may have higher disposal limit, but something that's at a price point that is affordable to everyone, and that's what we've done. We've we've driven down the price without compromising the integrity of the product um, to make these products accessible in so many different channels. Right? And I talked about it, in the mass channels and convenience channels, um, drug channel, uh, and and ultimately to be a global health and wellness brand.
1: Love that. Love that. All right. Question number five. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back and what would you tell that younger version of yourself?
0: Well, that's, a, that's a great question. Um,
1: I would have to say that
0: you know, if I could go back relying and trusting on gut instincts. I can look back at many situations where I didn't listen to my gut and ended up regretting a decision that I made that I knew I shouldn't have made because my gut was telling me not to and I didn't listen. Mm. And, you know, it's hard, though, because when you're younger, you're not in tune with, with that, right? And you're not in tune with your gut. And, and, and sometimes you don't even know it's there. Right. Sometimes you'll get this sense. I should do something. I shouldn't do something. But I think as, as we get older, we really get in tune with those gut instincts. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah. And,
0: and, and rely on them more and more. Um, and I think for me um, that would be probably the key is telling my the younger version of me to rely and trust on those gut instincts.
1: And uh, that's so good. That would have been great. Yeah. I love that. Uh, It's very similar, similar for the advice I'd like to give my younger self. I heard Daniel Goleman, the guy that that really popularized emotional intelligence. He was talking about the different structures of the brain, the emotional center of the brain, the logical center of the brain. And then some other part of the brain that I, I cannot remember or wouldn't pronounce correctly what it was called, but this, it's what they currently think is where our gut instincts come from. And the interesting thing is it has no connection to the, to the uh, verbal parts of our brain. So it's the part of our brain that they think is observing all the time, all the decisions we've mm-hmm. made, how those decisions turned out, what went well, what didn't go well. And because it can't directly communicate to us in words because it's not connected to the verbal centers of our brain, it gives us instincts. It gives us impressions and feelings. And that we can learn to refine it because sometimes our gut instinct can be off. But then we can also learn to quiet down and trust it. And, re- and after we refine it, really have that be a guiding, uh, a helpful guiding part of our decision-making process. And so I've taken that to heart, saying, yeah, if I look back, man, there was some part of me that was paying attention that, that tried to warn me. That was, uh, that was not a good situation to be in or bet on that. That's a good situation, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Henry, man, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've had such a, a blast learning from you, from your background of experience with all the different businesses you've, you've been able to partner in and run and found. And especially this one, super inspired by what you and your wife are doing both at the relationship level with each other, taking that to a new place, as well as this company that you are building into a a real national and soon to be global brand. And, uh, it's fun to, fun to have you on here. So buddy, thank you for making time on your busy schedule to be here and share your wisdom with us. Thanks, Drew. Appreciate you having me. Yes, sir.
0: Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and
1: massive business results.